What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak. So we're on a holiday break. Um, there hasn't been a new episode of Untenured Tracks for a little while now. I'm in the process of recording episodes for the next semester. I've had some really amazing conversations with some brilliant people so far. But today we've got an episode that I've had in the bank for a little while and haven't really known what to do with, but we're putting it out today. So a little bit of backstory. As you know, the purpose of this project is for me to highlight the research and teaching and scholarship in general of people who don't have tenure, either people who are on the tenure track, um, adjunct faculty, people with graduate degrees working out in the field, whoever you are, if you um, want the opportunity to come on the show and highlight your work, regardless of your discipline, I'm more than happy to have you. But because I'm new at the whole podcasting thing, at least doing this type of serious podcast, um, I think there's been some miscommunications along the way. Today's episode is a result of one of those miscommunications. So the interview that you're about to hear is with Dr. Jeffrey Ian Ross, highlighting his work and his teaching on street art and graffiti and things of that nature. The reason why this episode hasn't come out earlier is because Dr. Ross already has tenure, which I didn't realize until after the fact. So it's no fault of Jeff's. I, I take full responsibility of it, but we've been sitting on this episode because it goes against really the spirit of this project that we should just be highlighting um, the teaching and scholarship of people who don't really have that type of job security in academia yet, um, like I have and like Dr. Ross has. Um, but again, I think just really a miscommunication about the purpose of the show prior to my scheduling uh, Dr. Ross for his interview and then conducting it and then realizing after the fact that, oh, like, oops. So I didn't want to betray the spirit of the show, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of people who would be really interested in hearing what Dr. Ross has to say about his, his research. So this is a special bonus episode of Untenure Tracks. finishing up a Rutledge handbook on street culture. And this is a project that builds upon, you know, both uh, personal experiences, practitioner experiences, and my scholarly work uh, over the past, uh, you know, I would say almost two decades. Um, somewhere uh, a couple years back, I started thinking about if there were some unifying themes in my research, and uh, it was uh, a process of uh, delimiting, uh, you know, my main areas: of policing and corrections, and crimes of the powerful. Also done work on crime and justice in American Indian communities, uh, and I'd also done work on street uh, culture. And I was working at the time on a book on uh, graffiti and street art and uh, associated research in that area. And I um, came to the conclusion that probably street culture was a very major unifying theme in a lot of the work I had done 
And so um, I started uh, to to publish in this area and decided that I wanted to make a major statement. And uh, for me, uh, one of the major statements a scholar can do is uh, organize and get published a um, edited book, more specifically a handbook. And so uh, I approached a couple of publishers, I talked to uh, colleagues, and uh, uh, over the past few years, uh, organized this uh, this book. So uh, the book should be in print in uh, 2020, and uh, it uh, covers uh, street culture, soup to nuts, and uh, has contributions that are uh, uh, interdisciplinary um, and uh, covers things that you would expect, like street crime, uh, gangs, uh, street art, graffiti, and then activities that take place in the street, uh, like homelessness, uh, like uh, street vendors, um, the actions of street vendors, uh, also looking at um, uh, gangs, that, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so you mentioned street art several times. Could you talk a little bit about your work in that area? Right. Okay. So uh, the, uh, the the big project uh, was published in 2016, and that also was a handbook on uh, uh, published by Routledge on uh, graffiti and street art. And uh, the, the work I've done more specifically on graffiti and street art uh, has been on looking at how police officers have uh, responded to uh, uh, graffiti street artists, uh, also uh, doing some content analyses more recently, looking at uh, anti-Trump, anti-administration uh, graffiti and street art uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, looking at issues uh, connected to the types of images that have been put forward, uh, where these images have been placed, uh, the type of street art, whether we're talking stickers, whether we're talking posters, um, and uh, then uh, the content. Um, are they mainly images? What are those images? Um, that sort of thing. And, and, and then again, you know, uh, looking at the relationship between where these sorts of things appear and the types of neighborhoods they appear. So that's what I've been doing. And then I talk about some of the uh, more broader uh, contextual factors. Like, uh, you know, Washington is, uh, you know, the nation's capital. This is where Trump uh, and uh, most of his family live, um, and one would expect there to be a lot of uh, anti-Trump and anti-Trump administration, including their policies, uh, protest, uh, and some of that protest is visual protest. Uh, we see this in terms of the placards that people carry to demonstrations, but we also see it in terms of graffiti and street art. Um, and so uh, just kind of looking at that and seeing uh, where it exists and the, the transitory nature of it, that sort of thing. Um, very much interested in popular culture representations of graffiti and street art. So I've looked at uh, movies, uh, done a content analysis of movies, both documentary movies uh, and also uh, fiction-based movies on graffiti and street art and trying to tease uh, apart some of those themes. Um, and uh, that's leading right now to uh, a special issue of Visual Inquiry that I'm co-editing with uh, Ron Kramer from uh, New Zealand and uh, John Lennon from uh, University of South Florida. And we're looking at the commodification 
of graffiti and street art, or actually we're soliciting uh, papers uh, for that special volume on uh, uh, the commodification of graffiti and street art. We're seeing lots of graffiti and street art being used uh, in advertising. We're seeing it used in uh, new real estate developments. Uh, we're seeing, seeing it as a placemaker for urban development. Uh, and it, it allows uh, us, me, scholars in that area to examine lots of things that I, I find are, are interesting. Notions about you know, good graffiti versus bad graffiti. Um, you know, uh, police, agents of social control, um, focusing on the people who engage in graffiti, uh, who write graffiti, which kinds of graffiti they seem acceptable and which ones they don't. And these definitions are, are of, of, of who is appropriate and who's part of the club, who's not part of the club. They, they vary, they're very situational. Um, and and the, these kinds of contradictions interest me. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, I think, summarizes some of the work I've been doing there. So the, the continued work in graffiti and street art uh, and then the, the, the street culture coming out of a lot of the work, not only work on uh, graffiti and street art, but work I've done on street crime, uh, police-citizen interactions, particularly police use of excessive force, that sort of thing. So I imagine that a lot of people who are listening to this might be um, interested, I think, in hearing a little bit more about the stuff you've been doing in Washington, D.C., and specifically some of the, the anti-Trump and anti-Trump administration um, types of graffiti that you've seen. So could you talk a little bit more about just, like, what does that look like? And, and um, I, I suppose, what sort of research questions are you are you looking at with this type of research? Right. Well, again, kind of the basic things. First of all, you know, uh, how much uh, is there? Mm-hmm. Uh, where is it located? And then where does it fall between the basic divisions of, say, graffiti versus um, street art? And then, uh, are there, what is the imagery? Uh, are there, uh, is there multiple images? So the most dominant, uh, graffiti that is, uh, anti-Trump is, uh, just a slogan, fuck Trump. Uh, and, uh, the majority of those tags is done by one, uh, individual, um, uh, whose name I forget. I forget a street name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, he also has an Instagram site. And uh, he also has a, a PayPal account uh, <laughs> that he uses uh, to uh, solicit donations uh, to uh, help him uh, pay, pay the bills. Uh, I think he's been uh, arrested multiple times, not just on uh, vandalism charges. Uh, but um, uh, then uh, the, the, the majority, however, uh, is, is, is street art. And when I talk about street art or when, you know, we talk about street art, we're talking about things like stickers, we're talking about posters, okay. and we're talking about uh, sort of more uh, complicated uh, uh, items that one would uh, attach to a surface, so surfaces being walls, being, uh, you know, uh, the pavement, being, uh, you know, lampposts, that sort of thing. Uh, stickers are so abundant. And there's mm-hmm. this uh, sticker uh, that's a, a yellow sticker where it looks like the uh, the words on it are, are uh, uh, handwritten, but uh, I'm questioning whether or not they are because it's of the same font and it's very kind of slick. Uh, and they it, it's sort of some sort of misspelling of uh, of uh, Trump and some sort of thing that he's doing. So you know, Trump loves. 
uh, Ivanka's, you know, pussy, uh-huh. something like that, uh, or Trump loves, uh, you know, Nazis, uh, that sort of thing. Um, that's very, very prominent on, on light, uh, uh, on light posts uh, throughout, uh, uh, Washington, D.C. A lot of the places where you would assume that there should be graffiti and street art, uh, or let's just say a lot of places where there is graffiti and street art, it's non-Trump related. There isn't Trump, uh, uh related, um, uh, kind of, uh, uh street art or, or, or graffiti. Um, uh, there's something else that needs to be taken into consideration too, uh, and that is um, in many big cities um, in the United States, and, and Washington's no exception. We have a very strong business improvement district uh, sort of system. So uh, the business improvement district system has uh, each uh, each like neighborhood, uh, not a, each neighborhood, but many neighborhoods, particularly commercial retail neighborhoods. Uh, they uh, pay money to a business improvement district and the business improvement district is responsible for lots of things uh you know making sure there's not a lot of trash that's uh, lying around and then they will have one or more people who uh, almost every day go through the neighborhood and they will uh you know either paint over or buff uh, or remove uh, graffiti or they'll remove stickers so they're out there on uh, mass with uh, pushing a uh, you know big uh, uh, blue typically blue uh, garbage uh, uh, barrel uh, and uh, they have a uh, some identifying a shirt saying that they're working on behalf of the business improvement district and they're there uh, you know with a, a razor blade uh, scraping off uh, a sticker so no sooner than somebody can put put up a sticker regardless of whether it's uh, you know, anti-Trump, anti-Trump administration, uh, a lot of those stickers get removed. So, uh, and I, I've had the opportunity to talk to a handful of uh, the, uh, people who, who, who do this as, as their daily uh, function, and they say that a lot of this happens during the, uh, during the, during the weekends, and, you know, by Monday they've, they've got them all cleared off. So hmm. it's important to go, when you're doing this kind of research, to not just simply think that you've done, you know, doing one pass through is enough, but to come back there on multiple times. But, you know, also, too, you know, street art and graffiti is a, is a transitory kind of activity. So uh, you can have graffiti that's painted over, it's buffed over, um, it's, uh, or it's, it, um, if it's a poster, if it's a sticker, if it's a stencil, um, then, uh, well, not the stencils, but the, uh, the posters or the stickers, they're subject to the elements. And uh, so over time, you know, with uh, rain, with snow, sleet, uh, they will uh, fall off or uh, the image will become blurry um, and barely detectable, uh, that sort of thing. So I've seen with some of the stickers, um, and it looks like uh, people have tried to scratch out the uh, more uh, uh, egregious kinds of words that yeah. be, be in those uh, in those stickers uh, for one reason or another. It upsets their uh, their sensibilities, uh, um, but uh, I mean that's that's all part of what's going on. Um, I was recently up in New York City this past weekend, and I was looking for evidence of similar kinds of graffiti and similar kinds of stickers, and um, I really didn't see much of it uh, other than you know the you know uh, deport Trump. That's also a, mm-hmm. a fairly common kind of tag or uh, graffiti. And uh, 
But uh, so that leads me to believe that the graffiti and the street art that happens in Washington, D.C. is very local. In other words, people aren't coming from uh, Washington, D.C. up to New York City to, to do graffiti and street art and vice versa. They're not coming from uh, New York City uh, to um, uh, to uh, uh, down to D.C. So, you know, so that's kind of where that's. Where that where that comes from, and I'm I'm looking for other places to do some comparisons for that was one of several things I, I was uh, trying I was contemplating when I was up in in New York City. Uh, I didn't have the misfortune of going in front of uh, Trump Tower or in front of one of his properties, or not that I was aware of at the time. Uh, so uh, you know, I imagine that as we as one gets closer to his properties, one would see uh, a greater likelihood of this kind of uh, uh, anti-Trump um, uh, activity, but again, uh, New York City, just like Washington D.C., has a very strong, uh, you know, business improvement district um, uh, system, and so I would imagine that a lot of the stuff that goes up gets uh, gets uh, pulled down uh, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is also on the main streets, like um, uh, on the, uh, you know, just by walking down a sidewalk. Uh, I do a lot of walking through back alleys. Um, and very little of the uh, anti-Trump graffiti and street art is, is in the back there. There's, you know, plenty of graffiti and street art in the back alleys of uh, Washington, D.C., uh, but it tends to be kind of older with sort of traditional kinds of themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what's happening here in, in, in our nation's capital. So can I ask, how did you get into this? Like, like what, what brought you into this? Because, so I asked because... I'm thinking about when I was in grad school and my, my methods professor had this story and I, I've always wondered if it was like apocryphal or not, but he, when we were covering like how to do ethnographies and ethnomethodology and he says, you know, studying graffiti was a, was a really popular thing once upon a time. And there was this professor who got so, um, uh, kind of in too deep in his research that he quit his job to join this graffiti gang and, <laughs> And so I'm just, I'm just kind of, are you the professor that I've heard about all these years ago that, that quit his job to go, go become a graffiti artist or, or what's going on, Jeff? <laughs> That's funny. It sounds like an urban myth, but I mean, uh, there are a handful of scholars of graffiti who, uh, were very prolific, um, graffiti writers, uh, Stefano Block, for example, Ron Kramer, uh, for example, uh, those uh, uh, individuals uh, did a lot of gra- uh, graffiti, street art. A lot of people uh, are so are also very uh, 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 very cautious about um, you know uh, talking about their past. Some of them continue to do that. I mean, if they got a street name or uh, you know with a signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, 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 that gives them a little distance between the past and, 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 and the present. I mean, I, uh, I'm, you know, I have, uh, uh, you know, part of my past was, you know, I, I was a, I was an art student and, uh, I'm actually an art school dropout. Uh, well, in addition to being a high school dropout, I'm an art school dropout. Um, actually I never completed art school, so maybe that's a, a better way of, uh, um, characterizing that period of my life and I was a cab driver a courier for a couple of years a cab driver for a couple of years I worked in a psychiatric hospital for criminals for four years so I had a lot of connections with the street um, 
mean, I've, I, I can't say that I've done a lot of art over the last uh, uh, two decades, but I've always uh, had an appreciation for graffiti and street art um, and uh, the nuances of it uh, and the people who are engaging in it and the statements uh, they're engaging in. So that's one aspect. Another aspect, too, is uh, I'm a political scientist by training and my specialization um, when I uh, you know, first started out was conflict, political conflict. And there's all different types of conflict. There's, you know, violent conflict, and then there's nonviolent conflict. And then there's this concept known as weapons of the weak. Um, and graffiti is a, what we could also call a weapon of the weak. Uh, it's sort of, a, you know, sticking it to the man, but not really, uh, but also um, in, a, in a nonviolent way, in a, a way that's sort of subterranean. Um, uh, so that, that kind of, uh, but those are interests which are, are, are part of it. I have taught a, a couple of classes, two or three classes on graffiti and street art at the, the undergraduate level. I've written about that actually as part of my scholarship. Um, and I've found those interesting experiences. Um, and, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, that kind of, uh, is, is some of the background there. Was there something more specific that you, you wanted to go into? Or oh just, no, it was just you know, I was just genuinely yeah. curious about about how yeah. how you found yourself in this field. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, also, um, you know, the the, the uh, I was always interested. I was also always interested in policing, uh, in particular, police use of excessive force. So that sort of street level contact that's always been something that's interested me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a foreword to the book. Um, the, the Rutledge Handbook on Street Culture, which goes into greater detail and is more, uh, I think, organized than I feel I am right now in terms of laying out the chronology of my uh, interest and involvement in, in uh, street culture. Uh, and there's a, a somewhat similar kind of uh, forward in the book, the, uh, the, uh, the Handbook on Graffiti and Street Art, that talks about my, my chronology there. Um, and I've taken classes uh, in the last few years at the, the Art League uh, of Washington. That's a great um, organization. Almost every major city has uh, the Art League, uh, which is a uh, alternative um, way that people can get some more formal instruction in uh, all different types of art uh, that they're interested in. Um, and uh, so I mean, I've always been very much interested in modern art and expressionism, that sort of thing, abstract expressionism, and have been, uh, you know, done a reading up, quite a bit of reading up on, on the people who um, have uh, have worked in that area, um, and uh, have frequently go to galleries and uh, you know, take pictures of of paintings and sculptures that interest me, post them on Instagram occasionally posted on Twitter, that sort of thing, occasionally on uh, Facebook. And uh, then, you know, uh, try to deconstruct what's going on inside mm-hmm. those um, inside those uh, images. And that's actually some of what I do in, in the class I, class I have taught on graffiti and street art, is I have my students go out into the field, into Baltimore, take photos um, of different types of graffiti, and then we bring it back into the classroom, and we uh, first of all confirm whether it's graffiti or street art, and or whether it's a mur- mural. And uh, um, 
this is uh, important uh, for a variety of reasons. And then when we start looking at uh, these photos, we talk about you know where it was placed, why it was placed, what colors were used, how long do you think it was taken, why they decided to put that image at that particular spot, and um, then uh, you know go into the different kinds of uh, uh, connections between the different types of street art and, and uh, images that we've seen uh, from previous classes to see if there's any continuity or discontinuity uh, and why. So, um, and, and the, the class is, is taught in, in Baltimore where I work. I live in Washington, D.C. But, uh, you know, Baltimore has a very rich and vibrant uh, graffiti scene uh, as, does, uh, as does Washington. But again, you know, um, the uh, uh, the uh, graffiti and street art is is uh, you know curtailed uh, by the presence of uh, you know the business improvement districts. There's another phenomenon too that you know the listeners should be aware of too. There's in, in almost every big city there's this sort of contingent of people who we call shadow buffers. These are individuals. Uh, we'll, we'll call them, you know, like moral entrepreneurs, and they take it upon themselves to um, uh, eliminate graffiti in their neighborhood. So they themselves may, you know, they take it upon themselves to get the razor blades out, uh, the scrapers out, and to remove stickers, and to paint over graffiti um, or even street art that's uh, affixed to a variety of different surfaces, like, you know, mailboxes, like, uh, newspaper boxes, you know, like street poles, like electrical poles, uh, um, signs, directional uh, signs uh, that uh, road crews put up uh, and exist there for long periods of time. Uh, and, you know, some of the kind of uh, buffing that happens, they're painting over these shadow buffers, uh, uh, makes, the, makes the visual uh, urban landscape look less appealing than it, than it currently is. And you'll see that you know, under bridge viaducts and retaining walls, um, where uh, you know citizens come out and, and, and paint over the graffiti, and they think that that's a way of abating it, minimizing it. But you know, what they're really doing is they're providing a fresh canvas for somebody to come come by and uh, put their tag up, or you know, engage in all different you know styles of graffiti that uh, you know, people can 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 engage in. So. Um, that that I find I find an interesting phenomenon. My favorite is when they do that because it's like somebody's painted a curse word. Um, they paint over the word, but they just they're just like <laughs> writing the word again in a different color. <laughs> like, come on, guys, let's use a little bit of let's think with our heads here, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's be something that happens here all the time. Yeah, yeah, be a little bit more creative, will you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you'll see these people. Uh, they'll be out, you know, uh, late at night or early in the morning, and they'll be doing this sort of thing. And, um, uh, they uh, have a reputation uh, uh, as a, um, sort of, a, I would say, underground, but they have a, a, a kind of a sub rosa kind of a reputation uh, in in the neighborhoods in which they uh, they operate. Yeah, I mean it's been fascinating. It's interesting, uh, and it uh, uh, keeps me engaged mm -hmm. with the uh, urban environment. Um, it can some people find me to be a little bit uh, 
particularly family, find me to be a little bit obnoxious when I uh, walk down a street and I'm, I'm walking slower than, than they are because I'm studying the graffiti of street art or I'm, I'm grabbing somebody's arm that is somebody I know I'm walking with, in particular, you know, family member, and saying, hey, look at this. Uh, do you see what's going on? I start, I, I start you know, adopting my, my professor hat and, and trying to deconstruct the, uh, the tag or the, 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 uh, the, the piece. And uh, I'm not sure they completely, uh, they completely um, I'm not sure they're happy about the experience. On the <laughs> other hand, uh, what happens, I, I, many of my former students will, will meet me, uh, will, I'll run into them either on campus or uh, in the um, university area, and they'll say, "Hey, listen, you know, I can't walk down a street anymore without, you know, deconstructing the graffiti and street art that's there." I mean, the, it, it, you know, in years past, I would just walk by, and it would be kind of this just this visual noise. Now it actually has some meaning, uh, and I'm kind of forced to, you know, deconstruct it at some level. Uh, I may not do a perfect job, and it's. You know, it could have bear no relationship to what the the artist or the writer's uh, original intent was, but uh, they feel compelled to. They can't ignore it anymore. Uh, another thing too is, and this is getting you know to the teaching aspect, is uh, many of the students who take the class on graffiti and street art, um, they were interested in graffiti and street art not for its artistic kinds of uh, components, but because of uh, the often shared belief that uh, all graffiti and street art uh, is gang-related. And, and I quickly try to disabuse them of that um, sentiment. Um, clearly, you know, uh, there was a time and place where uh, lots of graffiti was uh, gang-related, and I'll have them read some Susan Phillips' work like on wall-banging. Uh, I'll even have a, a police officer, a detective, uh, from um, a uh, nearby um, county police department who specializes in gangs. Uh, he uh, would bring in a slideshow uh, of uh, different gang graffiti in the, in, in, the, in the area and, again, try to walk my students through that. But the majority of graffiti and street art that's uh, on, the, on the surfaces and in places like Baltimore that does have a big gang problem, is, is, is not gang related. It's largely, um, you know, young people uh, who are trying to uh, communicate with a larger audience, try to make a name for themselves, you know, in uh, amongst a fellow, you know, graph and street art world and, uh, you know, experimenting, that sort of thing. So protest, resistance, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, I'm glad you brought it up. So, in addition to thinking that that all graffiti and street art is gang related, are there other sorts of um, preconceived notions or myths that your students believe in that you find yourself like? I mean, for me, teaching crime, it, it seems like this constant battle, right, to try to um, push back against stuff that they see on TV or, or things of that nature. So, is there like a, a consistent theme that you have to you find yourself battling? Well, I'll tell you that that connection between graffiti and, and, and gang uh, is very hard to uh, shake uh, uh -huh. with my students. Just like, you know, uh, as you probably experienced, you know, the, uh, many of my students, uh, you know, believe that uh, uh, 
there's a strong relationship between, you know, incarceration and uh, reduction in crime, you know, or, you know, the, the death penalty serves as a deterrent, or that even laws serve as a deterrent. Um, so that's, uh, that's something that's very difficult to, um, to extinguish <laughs> that thought and that belief. And uh, you can go through a whole semester uh, trying to disabuse them of those notions, uh, and they may, uh, they may be able to um, parrot back some uh, of your wisdom, but I think that often they still may leave the class and still feel the same way that the majority of graffiti and street art is, uh, you know, they, they, they fail to learn the lesson or they t fail to internalize it. They learn what's sufficient to pass the class, if not do well on the tech class. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a little bit disappointing. But, um, you know, there's other ways that, you know, gangs communicate. Um, and in particular, the, the, the uh, social media, you know, uh, through uh, direct messaging to applications, that's also... Uh, that's a lot larger than, say, making visual statements that, that uh, gangs used to, to, to do. Uh, it's tough to separate things like, you know, um, you know the, the, the muralism of, of, uh, of uh, uh, Hispanic neighborhoods or cholo art or that sort of thing. It's tough to uh, pick apart um, murals, distinguish between murals and graffiti. A lot of my students have a tough time. Uh, distinguishing between graffiti uh, and murals um, and why there needs to be a distinction there and why some contexts uh, a mural would be would be better that some of them have difficulties understanding this commodification kind of concept um, and uh, so those are challenges that uh, I've experienced in, in the past hmm. so but it's been a while since I've taught that class uh, I'm mainly teaching about uh, street culture in the context of street crime, mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, there tends uh, there's uh, I think uh, a respectable appreciation uh, of the role of street culture, uh, particularly the, the kind of visual elements, uh, you know, fashion, the, the relationship between fashion and street culture and street crime, um, how there's certain kinds of you know, a streetwear uh, that is derived from the street. Um, it may be uh, fashion in terms of a, a clothing, an article, or body modification like tattoos and piercings. Uh, maybe the way that someone uh, wears clothing and the layering of clothing or the silhouette that one might create in terms of the clothes that they wear. Um, there's a lot more appreciation of that because I think uh, it's in many respects it's more immediate for them. Um, I've had some challenges, though not necessarily in my street uh, uh, crime class or street culture class, but you know, occasionally you'll see students. Maybe you have students too. They'll wear a uh, a shirt or a hat uh, that. Uh, um, uh, says obey on it. Mm -hmm. uh, obey. That's the uh, Shepherd Fairy, um, you know, symbol. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a long and interesting and and uh, not that complicated history to the obey symbol and actions. And uh, I asked them, you know, why are you wearing it? And what does it mean? And, and uh, um, they uh, are somewhat taken aback when I sort of, 
you know, uh, try to deconstruct it uh, for them. Uh, so, I mean, I find that interesting. Um, uh, but uh, uh, that probably probably is along the same lines as the kind of uh, uh, discussions between uh, the connection between you know gangs and, and, and graffiti. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I'm curious, um, either in the in the book that you're putting together or in the class that you're you're covering on street culture and street crime, um, do you talk about sex work at all? Um, a, a little, but not a lot. Um, I wish that we would talk more about it. Um, uh, this is probably a you know a bit of a blind spot on 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 my part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also my perception too that you know over the years uh, that a lot of sex work is not uh, on the street. It's uh, well, let's just say that majority of the transactions that mm-hmm. take place, at least in advanced industrialized democracies such as the United States, a lot of it um, takes place via the internet, mm-hmm. um, and so people uh, you know make those connections. Uh, you know both. Uh, prostitute john that sort of thing is done uh, done done in that in that manner um uh but you know we we still we have you know uh, counties in the united states where there's legalized prostitution and we have still parts of cities um um, that are you know red light districts where uh you know you can get uh your services uh, Mm -hmm. uh via prostitutes uh in that capacity so yeah, I was I was just curious. Just I mean, because I I've been thinking about it in terms of the I don't know if if this book has really a lot of well I think it, its merit is kind of debatable academically, but um, "Floating City" by Sudhir Venkatesh. Um, ah, yep. Are you familiar? Yeah, I'm familiar with it, but I'm not an expert on it. Yeah, yep. so I was thinking about it in those terms, right? Where I I think one of the maybe the positives that Venkatesh brings out of it is is sort of trying to, I don't even want to put this, like it's not popularizing, but it, I mean, it was a kind of written as a sort of popular academic book, right? Where right. like bringing attention to a, a broader audience, the level of like sex work type of stuff happening really right under their noses, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he was criticized rightfully so for, for having this kind of Pollyanna ish, reaction to it that a lot of people who who have studied that for for several decades were like no shit <laughs> right yeah you're, you're you're kind of columbusing our our work um <laughs> so that's just, a good uh, that's a good expression um you know I'm, I'm more familiar with his work um uh you know gang leader for a day yeah. um and some of the there's a, a handful of spinoff articles mm-hmm. that i believe he did in connection yeah. with or leading up to to that book, and I've certainly had my students read some of Ben Katash's work, but not you know Floating City. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, you know Ben Katash, uh, you know uh, did some really important uh, ethnography uh, in in uh, the projects in, in Chicago, and uh, you know brought to light a lot of nuances that. Uh, um, uh, average, uh, you know, I wouldn't say the average gang researcher, but, you know, gang researchers didn't really know and didn't really appreciate it. And clearly, you know, wider criminologists did. And so, um, this was, uh, he, he opened our eyes to, to, to those kinds of processes. Um, 
But, uh, you know, clearly, you know, in other parts of the world, um, you know, prostitution is more out in the open, more on the street. Um, and, uh, but, uh, and the same thing too with, you know, graffiti and street art. Now, the, the, uh, you know, some uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we didn't have a, a strong, uh, you know, business improvement district system like we do now in, in many, uh, countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, we also now have the rise of smartphones where, um, the images now can be captured uh, by the uh, you know the, the writer, the artist, uh, and uh, be sh- shared uh, amongst a constituency. And even if the uh, the the the, uh, the writing gets um, tainted over, uh, you know, uh, other graffiti is placed on top of it, or even street art, or there's some sort of a collage. Uh, which changes over time for, with new people, with other uh, new people adding things to it. Uh, this uh, provides a, a new and uh, interesting element to you know the traditional graffiti and street art that we we want. So, and then there's this sort of celebrity culture too. Uh, I guess uh, you know come to think of it, another another challenge for me in teaching um, students uh, about graffiti and street art is. Um, you know, um, there's the other constituency that might know or have heard of Banksy and maybe mm-hmm. Shepherd Ferry, uh, or they may not know who Shepherd Ferry is, but they know about, you know, the obey sign that the, those, uh, those individuals, they may have, you know, uh, for one reason or another at two o'clock in the morning, uh, watched, you know, exit through the gift shop. So, um, they were exposed to some of the, um, some of the graffiti writers and famous people, but um, uh, they, they, they it's, it's tough for them to move beyond this kind of celebrity culture of uh, graffiti and, and street art. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a challenge. Uh, and and, and uh, I mean, there's lots of, lots of good things that uh, both, uh, uh, you know, uh, Banksy and Shepard Ferry have put forward in terms of, uh, helping us uh, question our assumptions about art and you know, society of politics um, and our commitment to um, uh, activism and and, uh, uh, and also you know celebrity culture visual culture that sort of thing so I mean um, uh, many students when we start when I start talking more about the history and the visual culture aspects it's that he they're not as interested as, as you know, um, you know, you know, detection, uh, deterrence, uh, arresting individuals who are vandalizing property. Uh, and I, I don't mean either uh, by the same token, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, I guess the word is, you know, maybe, maybe Pollyannish about this is that, you know, uh, you know, gr- most graffiti is vandalism. Um, and uh, it is unsanctioned, uh, it is unwarranted, it is illegal, and it's destruction of property. And uh, many, uh, most property owners, whether it is a private property owner, a corporation, whether it is the state, uh, they are not happy with this, um, with this work, um, and, uh, and, 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 and rightfully so. But then, over time, we can also turn this whole argument on its head when there's now people who now uh, and, and jurisdictions that now protect 
the graffiti and street art that was at one point in time, you know, uh, unwarranted, unsanctioned, uh, illegal. And it is now, um, we have a, uh, we have a strong, uh, you know, legislation at the municipal level trying to protect that, protect that work because, uh, the people who own the property, um, uh, have property rights. Um, uh, and they understand that, uh, art to be of value. Uh, it may also bring people to a, uh, street corner to a neighborhood, uh, where people, um, want to see this graffiti and street art. They want to take photos of it, uh, and they want to, and perhaps, you know, they want to, uh, visit a store nearby, uh, a mom and pop shop or a, a restaurant or a cafe and uh, they uh, spend their money in that neighborhood whereas before they wouldn't but that uh, street art that exists there or the graffiti that exists there is now a draw uh, so uh, graffiti uh, also has a way of sort of placemaking at the neighborhood you know, like Shoreditch in uh, London uh, like uh, graffiti alleys we have or five points up in New York City um, so a lot of cities now uh, are trying to, if they have not already, trying to integrate, um, you know, graffiti into the uh, identity, the visual identity, the branding of the of the cities for, you know, to attract tourists, uh, to attract businesses to neighborhoods. So they have a kind of love-hate relationship with graffiti and street art. Um, so then they start protecting certain zones, just like a city used to in the past have a sort of a red light district. They're now having a, a place or, uh, uh, you know, uh, areas where uh, graffiti writers can do their work. And then again, we get back to that argument uh, between, you know, good graffiti and bad graffiti and places which we call legal walls and walls that are not legal. Um, and so that's what I think is in many respects so interesting, if not fascinating about uh, uh, graffiti and street art, just that sheer complexity of uh, nuance, of uh, uh, contextual appreciation, uh, the different kinds of uh, constituencies who may at one point in time uh, find you know, graffiti and street art totally abhorrent, um, calling, you know, 911 or 311 after they figure it out. Uh, for you know graffiti abatement, graffiti removal, and now they're saying, hey, you know maybe there's some some value in these uh, these scribblings. And uh, oh wait a second, they're not scribblings; they're actually tagged. And uh, wait a second, there is some complexity to the, that 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 tag. So um, I think that's what uh, one of several interesting things about graffiti and street art, and, and then by extension, uh, street culture. For sure. Um, so we have to wrap it up here. Um, sure. So thank you so much for your time, Jeff. My pleasure. It was great talking with you and uh, looking forward to uh, listening to uh, 